Welcome to The Event Brew, where event professionals from different backgrounds talk about the latest, most controversial, and interesting topics dominating the minds of the industry right now. This is a candid conversation, the likes of which can only otherwise be found late at night in host hotel lobby bars during industry conferences. So relax and drop in on what event pros really say when no one else is around. This show is brought to you by Endless Events, the event management company that tells you how it really is. Now, let's brew something up. Hello again. This is Nick Borelli talking to you on the latest episode of Event Brew. But the question is, who else is on this episode? Could we have Will Curran? Hey, I'm here. Is Deanna on this one? Present. Two. This is their second, right? Yeah, number two. Okay. Do we have Canada? Is Dustin here? I'm here. And last and least is Tui here. Tui? Where are you? Oh, you earned the least position because you told us that mercury was in retrograde and i had to mm. google that and that means something to <laughs> real human yeah, beings there was some Tui. there was some bullshit about mercury retrograde in our car and i don't know yeah i was like i hope <laughs> one organic joke? tea for that one i think is, is that what kept her from coming today uh, I, I, I thought one was a joke he said it was a car and then the other bit and i was like oh well that's not for real is it then i was like Wait a i minute, do think LA, that could it, be real it, it, technically, it is considered just like a saying now. It's just like a joke. Mm-hmm. It'd be like being like, oh, I guess like, you know, when it rains, it pours. It's not actually raining, right? Like, you know, I think people just say like, oh, Mercury. It just means like people, I think. Like things are going say, wrong. Things are going wrong, yeah. There was a lunar eclipse last night, though. So that's kind of cool. Am I the only person that was surprised to learn she had a car? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why that surprised me. I just didn't. I just assumed people that in LA that are up, up well, You were surprised I had a car once I said I got a car. You didn't have a car for a long time. I didn't time. have a car. That's true. I told you I didn't have a car for a while. Yeah. You, you had like a longboard as your mode of adult <laughs> transportation. This is true. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, so, you know who's here. You know who is not. You know who has cars and who doesn't. Uh, let's figure out what we're drinking and then you'll know everything there is to know about us. Uh, I'm going to get mine out of the way really quickly and tell you that there is only one Gatorade that is worth drinking. Blue. Uh, and it's yellow. It's, it's my favorite. Nope. What green. do you think? Green. Orange. I, I, I saw green? a ten, hint of it. So I'm, I can't, I can't guess anymore. I, I saw <laughs> it's it, lime cucumber. It, oh. it, it, it's like, unlike any other Gatorade, it may as well be a different beverage. Uh, it, it is not sweet, as you would imagine, mm. with cucumber and lime being a thing. And anywhere that sells uh, lots of uh, food, like uh, Latin American stores or anyone that has uh, that kind of stuff generally has that on hand. And it's not like the, the common one that you find, but it is so good because it's not like gross sweet. So um, mm. if you like uh, other drinks and don't like Gatorade. This is the Gatorade for people that don't like Gatorade. Hmm. Do you guys remember Gatorade Rain? No. Nope. No. Oh, that was like my queer? flavor. It was like I think late thousands. It was like lighter flavors that were more, a little bit more like see through, and mm. I don't know. I liked it because it wasn't too sweet. Like sometimes even like yellow Gatorade is just too much. Really right? sweet, right? Like, am yeah, I, I am I the outlier? Like I've always found Gatorade really salty because of the ele- electrolytes. Like, Whoa! It has like a it's kind of weird. briny taste yeah, to it. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Okay. I don't. I actually don't find them to be sweet. I, I used to really... drink Powerade for that reason because I was like Powerade, Powerade is a little less salty. Yeah, electrolytes. Plants love that stuff. Yeah, plants <laughs> crave it. Plants crave it. That's uh, was it Brondo? Uh, yeah, yeah, from Idiocracy. Yeah, that's the that's the future. Anyways, uh, who's drinking something that doesn't have cucumber in it? That'd oh. be really funny if we all were drinking some oh, cucumber. I all like, oh, no. uh, having a Canadian cucumber beer. You're having cucumber tea, right? I, I'm just drinking. I'm actually just drinking water, tap water. Believe it or not, I against most Arizona people. Most Arizona people are like, the water's terrible here. It's horrible. I've been drinking. I've been just drinking like hose water growing up, um, and I turned out okay. Le- I guess you you can find that oh. out by the end of the episode. But yeah, yeah you, tap water. You turned out. Like somebody who drinks out of the hose. Yeah. All <laughs> 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 this stuff right. is coming together yeah. really neatly. You can see now. them coming and you're like, you drank out of a hose when you were young, <laughs> didn't you? 
Well, it's like telltale signs of someone child. who drinks out of the hose. Yeah. yeah. Uh, lots of freedom at your house. Uh, who, who else is <laughs> drinking uh, something that is not from a hose? Fingers crossed. <laughs> well, I've got, um, when you said cucumber, that I had to remove myself. I've got a Bolt House Farms Green Immunity Boost. Mm, and oh. cucumber is one of the ingredients. Oh, oh so. there you go. Wait, you, what does it taste like? Team Q. It tastes good. It's got pineapple and apple in it, so it kind of cuts some of the the green stuff. So it's like a um, kind of juicy kind of taste? Yeah, kind of vegetal juicy together. I can only drink half of it at a time, otherwise I'd have like a sugar coma. But <laughs> I figure at least I'm getting some greenery in there too. Heck yeah. I'm drinking the my can of Diet Pepsi that I was drinking when I left the office, which is now very warm and not very enjoyable. Oh, damn. Warm Diet Pepsi. I know. That sounds That's very disgusting. Who with that? The fridge, the fridge in our office has been on the fritz, and we're waiting for a new one to get replaced. So Why everything, just put it outside? Literally everything that comes out of there is a little you know? bit suspicious these days. Hmm. <laughs> Thanks, just supply put it outside, chain. Dustin. Thanks, supply chain. Because it's 20 degrees here, Will. Oh, Hold on, I need a calculator real quick. Uh, uh, I know. Yeah. What, what's what's the ratio? Like, How does it go? It's probably like, well, if it's 20 degrees, stand by. 20 degrees. <laughs> what is it? You double it and add 30 or something? I always forget the formula. Fahrenheit. Google it. That's what I do. <laughs> it's 38 Celsius. In I get to my Canadian uh, hotel room and I press a button. 68 degrees here. Oh, well. my God. so cold. I'd have to put on a jacket. Oh, but, but, You're adorable. But to your point, you don't chill Diet Pepsi in 68 degree weather. Yeah, tr right. true. I will say that warm Diet Pepsi is probably, yeah, it's probably top five just most disgusting things I would ever not drink. Yeah, add add warm and flat because I've been sipping on oh. it for a couple hours. You've got like four. You've got four strikes against you. It's warm, flat. It's Diet and it's Pepsi. Like uh, I'll take the clam juice. Oh no. I feel like Canadians like Pepsi more than Americans do. I feel like Pepsi is very popular in Canada. Mm. Pepsi would Coca-Cola didn't do as well at advertising. Coke is a beast for sure. There's no question that Coca-Cola like dominates. Yeah. But I feel like Pepsi there's more seems like, like a Pepsi Canadian venues brand. here. Yeah, more it's like less more swimming. Friendly. Yeah, yeah, not a colonizer. Uh, <laughs> definitely more polite. Uh, remember saw... when the police like were being like really oh. mean to people, and then the Jenner gave a Pepsi. <laughs> That's a Canadian I just, move, right? Um, like, I just, I don't. Speak, speaking Your of references are really loose sometimes. So. They're super I saw, loose. I saw a tweet from uh, Elon Musk, who apparently now is super power hungry. He could buy Twitter and he thinks he can do anything. He said, I'm going to buy Coca-Cola and put the cocaine back in it. Because it was ever removed? Like a billionaire. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> Anyways. Huh. Well, from cocaine to the <laughs> <laughs> There's the definition of event brewer there from cocaine yeah. to a uh, top article we read on the internet today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which doesn't have cocaine in it. Although I didn't read it to the very end. That's uh, true. But you got to You got to read the whole article. Nick. Yeah, it might be, might in there. yeah. It might be the answer to the question that was posed in meetings net, which is the question. Can you really build supplier relations online? I doubt the answer is uh, nose candy, but we'll see. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this, this, this came across the uh, event brew desk and uh, it uh, got some blood uh, warmed up on uh, the side of Will. Anytime he hears <laughs> that people think that uh, relationships can't happen digitally, he uh, gets his Luddite stick and he waves it at people and says, no, you, uh, you know, Amish <laughs> folks, you can, in fact, uh, have a whole functioning organization based on uh, the internet, uh, it turns out, in 2022. So uh, I guess it's time to look at supplier relations and, and realize that a lot of purchases are made uh, online and a lot of uh, education is happening online. We, we Everyone does that. Now, how about the relationship bit? Can you actually become tight with people that you exclusively uh, meet with online and uh, what are you looking for in those relationships to make them stronger? So, Will, you have a pretty personal relationship when it comes to the idea of uh, fostering a community online, correct? Yeah, like I, I, I think that you can totally like do almost anything on the Internet. I mean, that's, that's a very like vague statement for me to make, but you know, I definitely, this, like, as you said, like my, my opinion on this was like furious. Like, I was like, why are we even questioning 
this at all. And like, I also think this is one of the big problems why in 2020, everybody was freaking out about like, why, how do we do events online and things like that is because the fact that this is a question being posed to the industry and that, that it's probably getting clicks and people like probably are answering yes and no. Like I, I just thought it was just, I was definitely, yeah, my blood got a little boiling, but I'd be curious to know what Deanna and Dustin think as well. Um, maybe I'll kick it. Yeah. Go Deanna. I guess my question is, is it, is it really a problem? Right. Mm -hmm. Or is meeting, is, is meetings <laughs> net is meeting that, just like trying to start something like, <laughs> you know, like Michael Jackson said, you want to be starting something. So that's mm. what I'm wondering, because I feel like that was one of the transformations that came about the past two years is that like, I would never have met you guys two years ago, but you know, I started really going all in on networking online and creating all these connections. And that's kind of why I have, 75% of the relationships I have now. I mean, I have some pre-COVID relationships that still stand, but most of them are noobs. So, I, yeah, I don't know that it's... But again, maybe it's because, you know, we are internet forward, Will, so maybe we are yeah, on that side of the spectrum, and maybe there's others that... I know there's been a lot beating the drum of, you just can't do certain things, you know, you have to do certain things in person, which I think there's a time and a place for it, but doesn't mean it's impossible, in my view. I love being in this world where it's now acceptable to do everything online. I love not spending my day traveling from meeting to meeting. I'm mm -hmm. like, I love actually being able to be in my office all day and not spend it in traffic or parking my car or making it to this meeting or that meeting. And I don't think it's damaged any of my partnerships or my relationships. If anything, it's better because we can all be more efficient with our time. We can be more effective. And there's a, there's a time and a place when we all get to like see each other and that can be more celebratory as opposed to just constantly being buried in the work. So I'm, mm. I'm, I'm all for continuing to build supplier relationships, client relationships and, and do that work online. And yeah, I don't, I don't see what the big deal is. Yeah, I mean, I'm of I'm of the opinion that you, you absolutely can do it. Uh, and I also think that there's there's ways to strengthen relationships with a variety of uh, forums that you can engage in and, and in person, I think, exists as an accelerator when it comes to uh, making connections. Like, I, I believe that online connections can absolutely be made and can be strong. Uh, and I believe that in less time, you can do the, the same thing in person. So like, I think that's what a lot of people are saying is you can't do it. And it, my answer is you can do it. It just takes a little bit longer. Uh, and it and the strength of it to get it to a really strong point takes a lot more time. Mm -hmm. Where in person, oftentimes, uh, it's it's around shared experiences that are uh, that have a lot more nonverbal communication. So the trust acceleration is on the back of that. Like it, it's actually what you're experiencing is a lot more communication other than the words and maybe even seeing somebody, but, uh, just more, uh, and that is the equivalent of, let's say, I don't, I don't know what the number is. I'm sure someone probably will figure this out, but like six or seven exchanges or something like that, and that it adds up faster. So what, what people are saying is it's not as potent as opposed to it's not possible. And I think that's where the conflation happens. Uh, I, I think that there's a lot of opportunities to, to mingle both of them when you have the, uh, the chance to really get the best case scenario of a relationship is uh, the relationship that starts in one arena and then is, uh, you know, bolstered by in person and then is kept a, like very vibrant and alive digitally because it's much easier to do so. So you're not like starting from scratch every time you see someone you're, you know, you're, you're the bonds have already been built and you've kept up with the things that are happening. You don't say, how was your week when you know that someone in their family may have died and you keep up with them digitally. So you know that, so you don't put your foot in your mouth and start all over again there. And there's just so many things that you can do when you keep up with people digitally. Uh, and if you use that information and then you have the trust acceleration that happens in person, that's the sweet spot of like best case scenario. But I still think any avenue is possible exclusively one way or exclusively the other way. 
I just don't know if it's uh, if you have the opportunity or time anymore to exclusively have a relationship with per- people in person. Like that's the only path that seems very unlikely. Mm. I love that you mentioned how they kind of complement each other, because when I think back to before, I found networking really challenging in person. Like I'm an extrovert. I like being around people. I find it genuine, generally easy to make new friends and make new connections. But networking and business functions when I was I didn't know anyone was like awkward sauce. Like I just so don't weird. like I don't like that small talk when you don't know someone, you don't you don't know how to read the room yet, you don't know the nuances. So for me, meeting people in a virtual setting, like you said, having those five, six, seven touches online, maybe you know, doing a Zoom coffee chat or whatever, what have you, and then you see them at a conference. You already have that context. You have that kind of base to build. Then you're just building from there. It And then it also makes going to those events a lot better because I know I'm going to see someone I know. Because mm-hmm. um, that's, you know, I went to WEC for the first time last year, but I had like a list of 10 people that I was meeting in person for the first time. So I was like so amped for like the in-person networking. Whereas before it would have been, oh, I don't know if I'm going to meet anyone. And mm-hmm. then it's that awkward do I give them my card? I don't know if they want to be friends with me or if they just wanted to talk to me at lunch and now they were ready to go to the session and they don't want to like continue this. So that's what I've liked of them two in one, having that kind of low pressure virtual environment to kind of ease into it. And then in person, you can kind of like solidify. I, yeah, I, I love that's smart. The soft landing is a really, is a really smart play that I hadn't considered that, but you're right. Like for years, uh, and I think I know at least will to, to uh, especially through the association lens, Dustin, uh, I know both of you have, have experienced like a lot of uh, people that that have known who you were before you met them in person. And it makes things so much easier, you yeah. know, to like not have to, you know, like they have come to you. And like, I think that because they're attracted to you because they've connected with you online, like they've seen something that you've said Mm or, or something that that way. And like, they're coming to you, not as a, uh, this could totally, you know, crash and burn. And, and you, we might not be the right kind of people to, you know, to get together, but they know that there's some kind of connection there and they come to you with that. Um, and I'm sure vice versa, but like that, uh, to me, like having a digital presence and investing in a digital presence for that reason makes the in-person so much more valuable because you, you just, you know, people come to you. Yeah. I, I think the, that's where I really saw the power of like inbound marketing and content marketing was when I started going to industry events and people started saying like, Oh, you're will, oh, I love your content, this and that. And like, it made things so much less awkward. And obviously that takes like time to build that up. And that's like a, almost a little bit different of a thing, but like, I, I definitely agree with you guys that like, it's a, it, meeting online is like a Kickstarter to it. Like, and you know, like one of the conversations I've been having about like, is when it comes to these hybrid events and starting off with a virtual event or an online community first is just the idea that like when you start with that and then you show up in person, it's like the fire is much brighter and deeper. Like I don't remember many conferences where I met someone completely brand new and then like it, fostered itself beyond that conference. It almost like if you meet them at the conference, you might even build like a really fun, awesome relationship there, but it like almost dies within that conference versus like online, then then lighting, like, you know, putting lighter fluid on it when you go in person and then coming out of that because it's based in online, you feel naturally totally good with it. And I felt that way, like very much um, with you, you, Nick and Dustin and Deanna, we haven't had a chance to meet in person quite yet, but I'm sure it'll be the exact way is that like we started online, we built that relationship online, then we met in person, it like solidified it even further. And then we come back online and that's where we're naturally, you know, comfortable with. I'm actually planning on being very awkward in person when we meet, so just just preparing you for that. (laughs) I like it. Yeah, so I mean, I think that there's a lot of ways that you can use them in combination with each other uh, and and, and feed off each other. Uh, I will take the point that like people are built differently, so there's probably um, the opportunity for certain people who are not extroverted to actually thrive exclusively online uh, who would just be left out. I think that mm-hmm. the major. this is something that I've been really thinking about a lot for the last couple of years is the fact that live events professionals design events for themselves. 
uh, and they they have such an overwhelming bias towards extrovert uh, nature, or uh, even if they're not that, they just assume everyone in their event is an extrovert. Uh, and it's, it's really like, I've seen over the last couple of years of like new stars and new voices coming out, uh, in virtual environments and people who like create their own communities who wouldn't necessarily be the loudest people at live events. Uh, and I've seen a lot of people can actually attend events and I've worked with clients who have seen, uh, completely new people attend their events who have never attended them before because they were in virtual. I think there's a lot to be said about uh the idea that um there is a lot of design work that's done with the expectation that the attendee is an extrovert i mean i don't even necessarily mm-hmm. like in a lot of corners of the industry planners are not extroverts but i think they plan as if everyone is an extrovert like they see like mm-hmm. well what the point of this is networking and networking is done this way and the point of this is business connections and business connections are you know only done this way and totally. i think that it, it's an environment that is has been predicated on that being a barrier to entry and mm-hmm. i think with with uh, digital means you have the opportunity to mix it up you know mm-hmm. give people more than one path i can't tell you how many times i've had somebody say how do we force people to network and i go well <laughs> <laughs> we'll start with not forcing them to do anything and uh, yeah i agree you know what's interesting I, i'm sitting here thinking about the last couple of years and as we're you know really getting back into live events here where i am in alberta and the supplier relationships that I have that are the strongest, and they they really are the ones that are really good at digital communications, the ones that are that really thrive in this sort of remote interaction. And I can now start to think of some suppliers that I don't think we've worked with in post-COVID because they really depend on more face-to-face, more sit-down oh, wow. meetings. And I'm without even thinking about it, I'm now going, I'm actually going to those people less because I don't that's not the way I want to work. I want it to be really seamless and online. And then I'm also thinking that I don't think I've started working with a new supplier since the end of the end of COVID because I've not met anybody. I don't really, you know, yes, there's some industry events that go on, but I haven't really taken part in a lot of them. So mm-hmm. like I really, I've been, I kind of double down on the suppliers that I know that we can maintain a relationship online. And I haven't, uh, I haven't really met anybody new, which I think therein lays the danger, right? Is that if we're not continuing to go out and explore and meet people, um, you really, as a producer and designer, you got to be really intentional to make sure that you're, you're always looking for, for new folks to work with. And, and then those folks need to be really good at getting to you and in, in a way that's not, like every other second email I get about some foreign investment that I now get to inherit $40 million from. Which, oh, I'm, still wait, which I'm still waiting for. I know. I, it's going to come through any day. Yeah. I sent them a deposit for my $40 million. So I'm hoping that comes through. Good, good, good. <laughs> um, go, go ahead, Deanna. Yeah. Dustin, um, you mentioned something about, you know, not really going with any new suppliers. And it just made me think, like going to a digital first scenario, it's really kind of a an equalizer because think of all the companies that can't afford to go to a connect mm-hmm. or a smart uh, meetings event or, you know, any type of hosted buyer scenario where they're right. talking $10,000 and, and mm-hmm. more with your travel and all that. Like you, it's such an equalizer that everyone it's equal access right mm-hmm. now. Obviously, there are plenty of planners and organizers that aren't online that you may not be reaching. But I think that number is getting smaller and smaller by the day. I mean, we've always a lot of us have talked about like the LinkedIn lurkers. So even Mm -hmm. if you're not exchanging with them, they're seeing what you're putting out there. So it's just interesting that it's kind of it's giving more opportunity to people that maybe were not so strong in person mm-hmm. or just didn't have the opportunity to go to some of these events and meet people and and schmooze and wine and dine mm-hmm. and and sell in that regard so i would mm-hmm. hope that especially with a lot of the suppliers that unfortunately have gone out of business and maybe there's new ones in the arena it's mm-hmm. providing more opportunity and not mm-hmm. less and herein lays a lesson about you know really understanding how to sell your product differently and if you want to stand out when you know everybody sitting behind their keyboard is their main sales tactic and emailing the 
you know, the, the info at trying to make traction mm -hmm. is you better make your product and how that appears really, really attractive because mm -hmm. at this stage of the game, like, you know, putting all your information in an email without like, it's just not is you're just going to get deleted. So you need to find really more polished and creative ways to, to get your product across. And I think that, that if you're a supplier and you're in this predicament, like there's a huge opportunity, especially in our industry to find a way to make those, those first contacts and that initial presentation really exciting. And if at the end of the day, you don't have a gazillion dollars to turn your entire product line digital or whatever else, like at least make sure what you're doing is really polished and interesting and, and specific to the person that you're sending it to. And, and you'll, you probably would do quite well in this environment. Um, I, when I was deciding to go remote as a company, it was like a huge uphill battle. It felt like going remote for a couple of reasons. First, this is before the pandemic. So the perception of remote was that you don't have an office, you work out of your home. And it was like, you didn't really have a company. Like I remember like doing everything I could to make people see that we were a legit company. We'd been business for like, you know, I think at 10 years or something like that at that point, um, probably a little bit less than that. And I remember that trying in those early days too to explain people how to get on a Zoom meeting. They'd be like, here's a link. They'd be like, oh, can I just call you? And I'm like, no, I'd like to see your face and allow you to see me. And I, like, I was like a big thing. I was always like, I always had my camera on. I always had my backdrop. I was always in a polo, right? Like, and I had, I worked extra hard to be able to do that. Now it's like everybody knows how to use Zoom. You can literally do these call video calls off your phone because bandwidth is so easy. You um, lost your polos. I, I, I lost yeah. my polo. Well, that's because that I don't do sales age. anymore. But, you know, yeah. it, like it, technology it's, went up. And for some reason, your <laughs> my, dress code. My dress code got easier because I, 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 I worked hard for a little bit so I could move beyond the dress code as my influence, I guess. Um, but, but I think the, the point I'm, I was trying to make, though, was that like, you know, like bat, like if this article had come out, then I would say, yeah, and I'm leading and getting ahead of people, I think a little bit on this. And it, it's even hard for me suppliers, because I remember I probably lost business because I like I wasn't flying down to the client's office to have the meeting. I remember like getting flown down for an RFP at one point and they didn't pay for any expenses. And I paid for everything on my end to have a meeting just to find out I didn't even make it past the RFP stage. I didn't even get my like second meeting with them. And so like now it's so much easier to be able to do, to do things now. My um, God, isn't that criminal? Like when you think about that, like the, the <laughs> shit, the shit we do and a lot of people continue to do in this industry, like, oh my God. Site visits and fam yeah. trips. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of that. Uh, I've done it too. I'm not saying that. I oh, yeah. 100% in over invested in something that that just should have not been the way. It yeah, is. you're the, and that's why like I like this new digital world that we live in now because like you can kind of be like it's the not really the right thing to be like, "Oh, let's spend all this time." It's kind of weird to spend all that much time when you can do it online. So, so the question that they they pose in this or they talk about in this article that I wanted to kind of debate is from the from the planner and the the planner side of things is they're saying, "Spoiler alert, it's hard to assess suppliers in a virtual setting do you guys think that it's hard to vet a supplier if unless you meet them in person well oh. i want to jump in here because i'm going to drop some <laughs> i'm going to drop something on you guys and i think it'll be surprising so i have been in the event industry on the planner side since 2007 and i can say that i have never gone on a site visit oh Isn't that's that awesome wow I've never done a site visit I've planned events in other states. I've planned events across the country. Um, the only site visit I ever did was for local events um, because my uh, most recent employer, they um, hosted their user conference um, where their headquarters was. So me doing a site visit was driving 20 minutes downtown. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I am used to, I've worked in places where we relied on RFPs. We relied on our um uh you know our third party vendors who are helping us with site selection and negotiation we relied on you know they've had the uh what is it called when you have the um the, the virtual tours thank you the virtual yeah. tour they've had that technology for a long time mm -hmm. um and um, recently um 
I was actually going to go on my first site visit, but it conflicted with a personal situation. So um, two colleagues went in my stead and I was FaceTiming with them and they were showing me certain mm. parts of the property. So it's mm. just it's just interesting for people to say, is it, you know, hard to assess online? I mean, I'm assessing ballrooms. I'm assessing AV capabilities. I'm assessing all these different things from the comfort of my corporate office. So I definitely debunk that myth. So I'll ask a hard question that <laughs> it would be hard to publicly say, but have you ever had an event that you like, something went poorly and you're like, I wish I had a site visit? Mm -hmm. No, all of that stuff, a lot of the time, the stuff that goes wrong is stuff that you couldn't plan for anyway. Mm. Like, that's fair. You know, we, mm, yeah. we all know the business. You plan as well as you can. You mm -hmm. mitigate, But it wasn't mitigate, the carpet mitigate. that made that. So that was like, oh, my gosh, this carpet's way uglier than I thought it was. My event's ruined. Right. Like, how do you <laughs> how do you plan for the fact that the hotel's mm -hmm. water heater bursts and none of the mm -hmm. guests have warm water? Like, wh how, what do you plan for that? Oh, so. if, if, I, if I would have known they had, didn't have a ceiling, you know. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, like, rigging to you know i don't know uh weird points or like uh, electric tied to water i mean if you're dealing with like reputable organizations yeah. like it becomes less and less like found spaces i might be like well but like if you're dealing with like you know really more uh established venues specifically like i think venues are the only ones where um <clears throat> there's the most amount of debate like where you would have to meet someone in person like i can't imagine what it would take uh for any other vendor that 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 it would be so much stronger to meet them in person, right? Because mm -hmm. a venue, it's like everyone else has to come into that space as well. Mm -hmm. So like that one, it's like probably the strongest case for it. But like, I mean, I, I work for a company that literally sells virtual uh, sales uh, tours for uh, venues. So like I'm, I'm very mm -hmm. much on the side of uh, it can be done. Uh, it's It really just comes down to you're asking the right questions and, you know, the contracts that you have and, and that kind of thing, uh, if you if you want to do that. But if, if anyone isn't willing or able to give a tour virtually at this stage in the game to satisfy any questions that you have, then obviously they're not going to be in business very long. Mm -hmm. can, can, I want to get a pet peeve at like number one most thing I, that frustrates me most I can never say to a client's face would be when they ask, have you worked in this venue before? Oh, yeah. And then Every it's your RFP is <laughs> dependent on it. And you're like, and I've lost business because, oh, you don't have enough experience in this venue. And I go... It's a box. Is it it has four walls and a ceiling. <laughs> Is it in I the know water? the venue contact. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've got. <laughs> Are this. we going to space? By the way, right. so I've worked with you know I've worked with event professionals in like every corner of the events industry, either a consultant or working for them directly. That same question comes up for DJs, photographers, it's everyone, everyone. Like photographers, they're like, "Have you ever been in this venue before?" And they're like, "No, but like I know how to shoot." <laughs> um, like I understand light is light and people are people and that's really all the job is it's not like again does it have gravity you know like mm -hmm. what's about this venue that's like so you know like that I won't be able to like do the thing I've been doing for like you know mm -hmm. my entire career mm -hmm. it likely always comes from a place of the client not knowing the venue and that's that's really where it's we're thinking from, that it's like a job is different than that like there's yeah. like oh it's got, you know, five windows. You're like, yeah. how do you get the best shot in that? You know, it's like, well, yeah. you eyeball it really quickly and you know it because you've been doing this. Like if you can't see like someone who is an expert, it's very difficult to um, make a purchase of something like that. Totally. So like I get it. I think that's really the main issue is that especially when it comes to like it. social. <laughs> Deanna, I, listen, I'm with you on that. So we, we spend a lot of time on this podcast talking from the lens of a corporate planner or the corporate side of the business. And I wonder how this conversation changes when you start to think about the social and the wedding market, when you're talking about relationships with suppliers, which actually is like this article is better geared towards that, I think, mm -hmm. where it's, you know, part of the industry where they really, in a, in a lot of cases, you're hiring on personality you're hiring on connection how do you feel about this person and what they do sometimes comes second place right like you you know when you make a great connection with a with a, a dj or a photographer or a designer or a cake maker like like yes their product is important but but oftentimes more important to that is do you like this person do you want to do business with them and do you think that 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 plays into this where in that that part of our world the social and weddings where those sort of in-person interactions are really important i'm going to say yes 
and with like a comma because I find that those sectors are really localized, right? Mm -hmm. If you're on the social side, you're doing weddings. I used to work for like a celebrity um, florist and event designer. And he worked within, I would say, like a hundred mile radius of Northeast Ohio. And um, yeah, he used the same suppliers all the time for his events um, that he mostly met through the local ILEA chapter. So yeah, there was Minio? some, what was that? Minio? Mm-mm. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's one of those things of, yeah, that in-person connection, one, because if you're seeing their work at other events or other weddings or whatever, what have you, you can judge it in person, the quality, their ability, you know, how they work, what their professionalism is like. But then also if you're in that local area, I mean, the area that we were in, it was pretty small in terms of the, the, the number of suppliers that could do luxury high-end events. It's not that many. So it's kind of like, you're kind of forced to use, certain mm-hmm. suppliers because who's got the inventory who's got um the staffing level that you need and things of that nature so i think it just kind of takes care of itself but yes i do think it's more in-person dependent for sure I, I again i think it's i think it's acceleration you know like i think in those small um in niche communities you know there's probably less opportunities to touch um, you know, uh, the people that you would be looking at. So the in-person is an accelerator to require you, you probably have more hats and it just is a smaller scene in general. So I think it requires, uh, a lot more, um, touches if it's done digitally, if it's done in person, then you can, you can sort of suss out the trust factor much quicker. Uh, Mm -hmm. if this is somebody that you would want to work with, that's the other element of social is that to an extent, a lot of it is, do you want to work with this person because you're Mm -hmm. going to be working hand in hand with them? And it's Uh, personal. It's typically is it's a personal thing. Like you're allowing them into your life. The goals are subjective to corporate. I don't feel overly like emotionally attached to anything. I've hired people I don't like corporate. (laughs) I just think their work is superior. I do it every day. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. But social, I wouldn't hire people I didn't want to work with mostly because I know at the end of the day, the the goal of the event is completely subjective and, and not um, mm-hmm. it's not real, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's the, the goal of the social event is, does it make the person feel good who bought it? Yeah. And that requires a whole crew of people on the same level, wanting to work together and a good vibe sort mm-hmm. of. And, and like, that's not necessarily as crucial when it comes to corporate, because it's just about efficiency and it's about, um, very concrete goals, uh, as opposed to the su- sort of subjective, this was the greatest day of my life kind of thing, which is like, okay, that sounds like to me fun and everyone, you know, being on the same wavelength versus corporate. It's like, you know, is it lead generation or ticket sales or mm-hmm. efficiency or speed? And those are about people who are at the, the height of their game professionally, but they may, you know, not be people you want to hang out with. So, I think to to reel it into that question of like, can you assess suppliers online? I feel like in 2022, there's no better time to find things online, mm-hmm. right? Like everybody knows they need to have case studies of stuff. You can ask for case studies of them. They're done in high definition, beautiful video. And, you know, you, uh, you, you can see pictures. You can literally Google Maps things like I just feel like there's so much information online now that like you can you can tell very quickly whether something like here's something that we never thought about like right like that the the idea of vetting references right so like obviously you can ask the vendor for references and then do that 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 check but like we're in a day and age too where everybody's social graph is so online that literally all you have to really look through is like hey let me find that this company says that they had Amazon as a client. Let me look through uh, their LinkedIn to see who they're connected with from Amazon. And you can like almost just find that 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 person directly easier than ever. Obviously, that's a little bit more work. But like, you know, I think more, like before, you know, when you did things in person, your sole thing was their salesmanship. And I think that's the thing that they're like, they're losing out on if you do if you go in person, and that's what you're fearing you're missing, is that you're losing the ability to be sold to. But I think nowadays, People don't want to 
be sold to. They want to buy things and they want to have more resources. They want more information. And like at Endless, we're always trying to figure out how do we give, give, give information and like make it so the salesperson doesn't have to work because no one wants to be sold to anymore. Mm. And well, that's yes, but people, there are people who still want to sell. And I think yes. that the pain points come from like the people that are saying like this can't be done here, this can't be done here. I think a lot of that is is from people in sales who want to mm -hmm. have a position where they actually are an active um, mm -hmm. participa uh, participatory in the, in the process. Because yeah. so what you're saying, Will, is is that it's the golden age of creeping on people, and that you can you know yeah, I guess so, look yeah. up people. You know you can uh, Google Earth their look to see where the person lives, to see how big their house is, to see if they're actually doing well. Like you can really <laughs> I, creep. I, on I totally do that. Don't ever give me your home address. <laughs> yeah, uh, oh, don't worry about that, Deanna. I'll find it. <laughs> Yeah, creeping on you like, oh, these were the most successful. And they're like, oh, really? But this is the day and age there? also of like you can get information from, from about but suppliers. 100%. But the salesperson, it's not so much that, yes, yeah. I agree, no one wants to quote unquote be sold to. But I think the friction comes from the fact that like organizations with, you know, sales goals and people who are, who are good at sales, they want us like an opportunity to take a swing. Mm -hmm. And like, I think that that's a big and, and they've also like their whole job and experience is based on being good at all the things that you said aren't necessary anymore. So I think that like yeah. there, there is still the friction comes from that. Uh, and there is something to be said about like, it's not just selling to people, but there's and, and I think that like selling to people is an outdated idea. But I, I do think that there's a level of like connection and customer service that sometimes is missing in a world where it's it's predicated on your just ability to like uh without all of the information like to look at someone's website and get all the you know the ideas that you need like i think that if you're not educated and you're trying to educate yourself you're probably you know doing yourself a disservice so somewhere in between s selling at you and actually educating you up so you know how yeah. to make a decision like that's that's the missing component that people would want but it's very delicate like that's very difficult to actually achieve to be an outward agent of education because you know better than anyone will someone could be like you know coming at you and be like well these people don't even have an office and they're not they're they've never been in my building and they this and they that and they this and they figure all that out about you and they never talk to you you don't you don't want to lose that sale when you know that those are ridiculous non-factors mm -hmm. so you yeah. would want to insert yourself into and quote unquote sell to those people because you're you're doing it from a from a place of education and being like well actually those things don't really matter uh but it really takes you know the idea of how to make that in a world that is digital uh and still put that educational spin on it well i mean like one thing to think about too i mean like to 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 counter argue that too is that like you know, if you decide that like, oh, hey, it's about the fact that they don't have an office and blah, blah, blah these things, right? Like, they is, don't that really, is that really even a relationship at that point then too? Because like that, we, what we'll do, well, like, I mean, not, I don't think we necessarily do this much anymore because it's not as much of an issue. But I remember early on, like if people like really didn't want to hop on a Zoom call with me and they were going to judge me based on the fact that like we were remote, I was like, I also don't know if I want to work with you. So like a lot of my like sales process was just like, I'm going to share all this information with you and I'm going to let you kind of self-select out earlier on so mm -hmm. I can actually get a relationship then at that yeah. point too. Yeah, it depends on the scale of your organization. Like a larger scale organization wants to be able to get the business that they can they can actually accomplish and they're not going to be like well if you don't think this already then i don't want to work with you mm -hmm. they don't think like that they think like i pay people to change minds in order to have them understand things and mm -hmm. uh and they can overcome your biases and they don't just take the biases for granted because otherwise mm -hmm. those biases become real you know like how is it any how is it not real that you don't have a building you're not a real business if everybody if people believe that like it's incumbent on you to teach people that that's not the case and people if not you taught. then who yeah well it'll be someone else saying yeah. you're right they don't yeah. have a building and it's like they're filling their heads with nonsense yeah. so i guess all i'm saying is is that yes i believe digital you know only works but i think that there is the the pushback comes from the the, the, the sales world that says we have these skills they're actually valuable to organizations to change people's minds and educate them uh, the ones that do it right. And if you can figure out how to transfer those skills to like digital, then you've got everything going. Like I, mm -hmm. I think all the pushback comes from people that think that can't be done online. 
uh, that it's just scanning a website and watching videos. And that's the extent of the exchanges that happen digitally. I think that what's been done in sales should be converted to more of an education first platform. Uh, and it could that that has absolutely every opportunity to thrive online. It's interesting. I can relate to what Will was saying. Um, so quite a few years ago, any large RFPs that we were responding to, we immediately asked them, can we do this presentation in person? And if they said no, we, we thought long and hard about whether it was going to fit into our schedule to do the incredible amount of work that it would take to respond to it. And that has changed to now saying, you know, can we present our presentation digitally? We're not looking to do it in person anymore. But, but you do, you do learn a little bit about the client, especially at the initial phase of, inquiry like if if they expect you to take the days or weeks and the amount of hours that you're going to invest into putting together their proposal and not give you mm. 60 minutes of their time to present it then then it's like yeah it sucks to be like maybe you're not for me but it also tells you a lot about the way that they're running their process and we've said no to people that have been like no you just just email it to us and we'll make our decision. And that's, that doesn't work for me. That's not, that's not going to work. I'm not going to sidetrack everything else that's going on to meet your already ridiculous deadline. Cause this project that you've known about for a year, all of a sudden has a weak return <laughs> on an RP. And I, and we just say, no, we just say that doesn't work for me. If that's the way you work, then that's the way this whole entire project's going to be. And that's, that, that's not for me. And it started because I really, I'm, I'm the sales guy. Like I like, I'm not the sales guy, but I am like, by nature, that's what I love doing. That's what I, mm -hmm. I love getting people into a room and getting them excited about their project. And I love, love, love doing that. And I always felt like without that, it wouldn't be as successful. And I've long been proved wrong that that's not, that's not always the case, but I still do. We still say if it's large scale before we even start cracking it open, we say, can we have a presentation time with you? And if the answer is no, sometimes we're like, well, then go away. Then just mm -hmm. go away. Don't demonetize me. Have we done an RFP episode yet? I think a long time ago. We were young then, though. We should do yeah, it. Yeah. We young. Have we done a post COVID, post -COVID uh, RFP? No, we're all a bit bitchier after uh, COVID. So it could, yeah. be, it, could be, it could be way more interesting. All the, all the RFPs are just responded to with just supply chain, exclamation point. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. Or it's like just filling question marks yeah. or NA. Yeah. It's like, do you know the venue? Do you know what's going on in the world? Like, who the There's fuck cares? Why does, it say, why, does, why does this invoice say market price for everything? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Hey, yeah. it works for uh, seafood restaurants. Why yeah. it not work for us? Yeah. That's true. Book your 2023 event with us and we'll hold 2022 pricing. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. I know all the venues are kicking themselves for when they did that in 2020. I bet. Oh, yeah. It's the biggest mistake yeah. you can make is to lower your prices for any reason whatsoever. Just create new things and create new prices and then make the yeah. whole thing go away. Yeah, I don't. That's the trick. Yeah. I learned that in 2008 and it's, uh, it's done me well. Like, you know, just create something new add a price to that that like the market can, the current market can bear uh you know a new configuration of things and then when the market gets better just eliminate that whole you know uh that whole product line that you had and just replace it with what was there before because once you go back it's very easy yeah once to you go, go down, up or down but you can't yeah. go back up like yeah. ever like yeah. you're just yeah. that's that's what you're worth anyways uh I think uh, I think we figured it out. The answer is yes. Uh, that's a, that's a long-winded way of saying uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hundred yeah. percent possible. Mm -hmm. There's uh, mm -hmm. you know hundreds of new ways that you can connect with people online in the last couple of years too. So yeah. uh, you know it's uh, it's certainly never been a better time to uh, create a community. Uh, and uh, like Will said, all his different ways that he creeps on you uh, while you're sleeping, uh, you, can, mm -hmm. you can do all those things too. Oh, I don't as do he's, anymore. I as he's holding his are... cat, as he's yeah. holding yeah. his cat, very like um, Dr. <laughs> Evil. Dr. Evil. <laughs> I know where you live. I know who your friends are on LinkedIn. <laughs> Triangulated yeah. your circles. Great. <laughs> cool. Well, I guess yeah. we don't need to meet then. Uh, yeah. Nope, not anymore. No, uh, well, it's good. Nick, Nick I want uh, before you take us home, because I think you'd have an interesting answer to this, because you talked a lot about that traditional sales person, the sales guy that is probably very good at what he did in a role for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years has been so effective for business. What's your number one piece of advice for that sales guy right now that that doesn't get to interact in the same way? Yeah, I would I would uh, take 
take the ideals of inbound marketing and apply those to sales and, and become more of an inbound salesperson by um, making yourself an educator first uh, mm-hmm. and uh, creating some altruistic magnetism that, that brings people to you. Uh, and it, it makes people feel as though they're comfortable around being uh, with you. So you're seen as someone who is an answer person and not a, uh, a person who sees you as a lead. And mm-hmm. uh, I also think that like salespeople should be more um, entrenched in the community that they, that their, their leads or their, the people that they're trying to uh, work with are in as opposed to not dealing with them. Like you, mm-hmm. all of us come, you know, with some association experience uh, and it's not often the salespeople necessarily it's usually like business owners or mm-hmm. uh you know planners or what have you but it rarely is it you know just the the rainmakers that are in uh those groups um consider spending a lot more time listening uh than you you were doing in the past and uh and then when you do talk talk from a, the pulpit of an educator versus someone with uh just tells you the new the features that are your product has every day um, that would be how I do it. It really just you flip flip the script and become uh, a uh, an educator first and a salesperson second. I love that. I can hear doctor. What do you think? Good luck. Guys? Shall we wrap this one up? Sure. Yeah. Can let's put a nice bow on it. A nice yeah, bow. Let's, uh, let's do all the things. Uh, if you're interested in. Uh, continuing this conversation and telling us that we're right or wrong or some kind of anecdotal story about uh, how you have used digital communication as a means to uh, find a supplier or work with a supplier that you wouldn't have met otherwise, uh, let us know. Uh, you can email us at eventbrew at helloendless.com. Uh, the hashtag is eventbrew. And uh, we, we read all those things and uh, we may even feature your answer on a future episode. Mm. How special mm. is that? It's pretty special, especially if you have a goofy name. We seem yeah. to really. <laughs> no, very <laughs> good. Very American names. We get no, they're not even goofy names. They're all like superhero names or yeah. like some kind of like alliterative, like, yeah. you it's know, like, like Hank Captain America. Man. Captain America tweeted. Barry Allen. Yeah. Bruce Banner. Uh, yeah bruce banner like that is that is a name straight out of like the batman trilogy yep you know a lot about comics yeah you know a lot about (laughs) comics don't you dustin (laughs) i don't i don't actually really it's hard to imagine surprise surprise i did i did just watch a documentary on the making of the last trilogy which was really interesting of the of the uh chris nolan's dark man the chris nolan one yeah i don't even know if that was the last one that's how little i know but yeah, that was my straight guy reference for the day. I'm glad you all enjoyed it. Bruce Banner, the Batman. It's very straight. Uh, right. Wow. Get out of okay. here before we get in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. yeah let's not yeah. say anything bad about superheroes. Uh, yeah, never bye. mind the gays. Bye. Don't say anything bad about the superheroes. <laughs> okay. Bye, guys. Bye. I want to be like Batman. Yeah, that's never going to happen, Will. Bye. What? Oh, damn. Thanks again for listening to Event Brew. Be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcasting app. Also, be sure to head over to eventbrew.com and leave us a comment about this week's episode. Ask a follow-up question or tell us what topics you want to hear covered. See you next time on Event Brew.